that's having a whole flow-on effect that we're, we've just been unaware of. We're marrying later as a, as a society. If at all, lots of people now aren't marrying, particularly men, they're not interested in getting married, they're happy just now because, because a woman will just live with them without committing. So why not, says the bloke. I don't have to commit and I get what I want, married. Now why get married? So lots of people aren't getting married. If they are, it's much later. And so they're having fewer kids. I'll tell you why they're having fewer kids, because women have a biological clock, which means that you can't put off child raising like a man can until whenever, because your fertility drops at the age of 30. And so there's a reality that if women are marrying later, then their ability to um, conceive reduces, and the number of kids that you'll end up having drops with that. Um, and so... We're marrying later, marrying, if at all, having fewer kids, and if we have kids, it's only one or two kids. The reasons for this aren't simply economics, though the government keeps wanting to sound like that's what it is. The reasons are much more profound. Marrying later, fertility issues, marriage becomes less stable, de facto relationships are far less stable, um, and so it's, less, it's, less, it's more difficult to have kids in that context, um, and they're costly. Man, kids cost a lot of money. And they cost a lot of energy and time. Look at me. I was actually a happy-go-lucky bloke. And then I had... You know, it... it um, I was going to name names. It, uh, <laughs> but, you know, you, um, a, a child just... It takes up a lot of your time and energy. You can't, you can't go and do what you want anymore because you've got a child. And so let's just have one or two so that we can have that fulfilling side of us with a child, but not too many of them. It impacts our lifestyle. And so we've got people with less and less kids. Um, now, for some, I'm saying all of this, and you're th some of you are thinking, oh, I wish I could have kids, I just can't. And so it's a great grief to you, but our society uh, is not pursuing it as much as others would want. Now, less stable relationships, marrying later, fewer kids, the unintended consequence of all of that is loneliness. We've got an epidemic of loneliness coming in our society. It hasn't been there in generations past, but it's coming our way big time. People are less able to establish relationships that are satisfying and lasting. And so as we age, as our community ages, with fewer deep friendships and relationships, there are fewer friends you can call on when you're in trouble. Less family to call on, fewer kids. And those kids picked up from the parents that life's about you the parents had kids to fulfil themselves and only enough to not interfere. And so they've picked up that, oh, life's about you having as much fun as you can. Might throw my parents. And so they're now living off their life, travelling and so on, so the parents are alone. There was only a couple of them anyway. And so as we age, we're more isolated than previous generations. Neighbourhoods are more isolated. Now, you may, you may think this is just the way it is, but I tell you, 40, 50 years ago, it was different. And I want to talk with you about that shortly too. But um, we've built massive entertainment rooms in our houses um, so that you don't need to go out to get entertainment. You can just do it all at home. Um, and, uh, and none of this is <laughs> online, Facebook, whatever you guys listen to now. I don't know what it is, Snapchat or something. Let me just say, um, Facebook, online friends are not friends. You get that, don't you? They're an electronic thing that you connect with. Um, because here's the deal, when, when you get sick and need to be taken to hospital, where's your Facebook friend then? You know, they're not going to rush around in the car to help you get there. When you get stuck at work, you've left your keys somewhere and you can't get home or your battery's gone flat, 
Try one of your Facebook friends and see what happens. You see, they're not friends. Friends are people who are there for you in your needs and so on. Um, now this is happening. People are waking up to this, and they're more and more isolated, and it's going to be devastating in the years ahead. This is the case across our Western society. There is a couple of there are a couple of exceptions to this problem, though. And I'll tell you one group that is the exception that this unintended consequence is not going to... Loneliness is not going to hit. I'll tell you the group. It's Christians. Now, in fact, that's actually not quite right. It won't be true of a certain kind of Christian. The kind of Christian who takes Romans chapter 12 to heart. Romans chapter 12. The message of this part of the book, we've been going through the book of Romans, we're up to chapter 12 and we're up to particularly verse 3. I'm going to take us from verse 3 just down to verse 8 tonight. And I want to start with that little picture about loneliness that comes from sort of the way we're portrayed and, and engaged in relationships because God intended us to have a different experience of life. The God of grace and goodness and mercy and love wanted us to actually have rich relationships he wanted us to enjoy the fruit of life with one another in a transformed experience. And I want you to see that Romans chapter 12 is God's rescue plan to make us be different and enjoy a different kind of future in life. Now, I'm putting all of that ahead of it, that I'm kind of front-ending because what I'm going to talk to you about is costly. It will cost you in your life to live this way. But there are rich, beautiful, wonderful things that come from it. So I want, to, I want you to, to, to look with me at Romans chapter 12, verse 5. This is the verse. This is the, the verse for tonight. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. And if you've got a pen, underline it. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 5. In Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There it is. In Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. That is a simple statement, it's a profound statement, it's countercultural. It requires a transformation of heart and mind to embrace it. It means dying to self for most of us, particularly for men. I'm going to talk about me shortly. It means dying to self, but... In Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. When you become a Christian, it's not a solo sport. I mean, it's not a sport either, but it's not a solo sport. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not you and God. That's not Christianity. It's not biblical Christianity. When you become a Christian, it isn't just me reconciled to God to now live the way I want to live. That's not Christianity. So much of this letter is about you being reconciled to God. Uh, and so we, let me just quickly run through that. It, you know, the first chapters talk about how is it possible for a sinner, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there's no one righteous, not even one. Um, how is it possible for one who is an enemy of God, Romans chapter 5, to be right with the holy God of the universe? Well, Romans chapter 3 tells you. It's because God in His grace and love offered His own Son as a sacrifice of atonement so that those who put their faith in His death on their behalf might be justified. 
might be declared right with God, with no case to answer for, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are now at peace with God. It's a wonderful, extraordinary, extreme message. It's a message that brings hope and joy and gladness, that you can be reconciled because of the mercy of God to God, forgiven, restored, no more fear, loved, so that in all things God now works for your good. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. But something really profound happens when you become a Christian as well. I mean, that's profound. But, but that's possible because of a deeper, profound thing that occurs by the Holy Spirit of God. This is miraculous. God, who is spirit, does a miracle in your life when you put your faith in Jesus. Let me tell you what happens. Upon trusting Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes you and unites you into Jesus. Puts you in Him. So that wherever He is, you are. So that when He dies under the judgment of God, the holy righteous judgment of God for sin... You are in him by the Spirit and die with him. You've paid the penalty in him. When he rises from the grave and to life eternal again, you rise with him. So that wherever he is, you are. Because the Holy Spirit has united you to Jesus. He is now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. You're there now too. Accepted, loved. This union with with Jesus happens by the Holy Spirit. It's called being in Christ. Do you see? But here's the thing, when the Holy Spirit unites you to Christ, puts you in Jesus so that you're saved by your union with Him, He does that with every other Christian as well. So that I'm united into Christ by the Spirit, but so are you, you're united into Christ by the Spirit, you're united into Christ, we're all united, so we're all together in the body of Christ. And so we are, verse 5, in Christ, we all of us, together. And so what, the wonder of this is immense. What, what happens is, by that union with Christ, I'm brought, reconciled to God, but I'm also brought to each other. I'm united to Jesus and everyone else who puts their faith in Jesus. You come to God and you come to each other. You see, God is doing a repair work in the world. He's doing a repair work on our relationship with Him, but also on our relationships with each other. God's intention is that me, you, individually, um, uh, that, that sin in my life would be destroyed and I'd be made into the person God intended for me to be, He would remake me into the image of, in, image of Christ. He'd restore me and remake us together. Sin destroys us and it makes us create barriers. It... it, it my, my sinful heart keeps creating barriers, barriers between me and God. But barriers between me and others. And sin is so perverse that some of us want to keep those barriers. And I want to offer that um, men as they age, I don't know that it's true always when young, but as you age, particularly most, almost all men I meet are like this as they get older. They want that barrier between them and others there. I want my cave. I want to just be... You know, if I went a year without speaking or seeing someone else, that'd be a good year. 
<laughs> no, no, that's, that's a ter- as you think that through, it's dreadful, isn't it? Um, do you know, when I'm, when I'm tired and stressed and just looking for distraction, I watch YouTubes of um, solo yachtsmen going around the world. And, um, and you know, I'll follow, you know, very, there are various people who kind of go on the journey of I'm going to sail by myself around the world and so on, and I'll watch them day by day. I'll get up in the morning and see where they're up to and watch them do it. And Kathy asked, well, you know, why do you do that? And I said, oh, I love the adventure, I love the risk-taking, I love the surf, the ocean, I love the, the whole experience of being out there in the wild, the challenge. And she says, no, you just want to actually be alone on a boat for a year. <laughs> yep, she's got me. Um, you see, some of us actually, some of us aren't captivated by being united to other people. Oh, I don't, I'm tempted to go, put your hand up if you like that, but I won't. Others of you, to go a day without meeting another person's death, to, to go an hour without having someone text you a message or something is death. Um, in fact, this 40 minutes is just is killing you at the moment. You can't pull out your phone. You don't know what to do, yeah? Um, for some of you, you're so gregarious. You want it. Now, God's intention is to transform all of us to transform the the solo person, the person who just wants to live in their cave, to transform you to actually see that you are in Christ, part of one body, belonging to other members. That's what he wants to do for you. But he wants to do for you, gregarious person, that you are part of one body, belonging to others, not for your sake, but for theirs. He wants to transform the way you think about other people for your, not for your sake, but for their. God's purpose is to transform all of us. Um, now, the problem in all of this is that whole idea of authenticity. And we're going to spend the next years together banging on this, right? So settle in, right? But authenticity is the big thing these days. Be who you are. Be who you are. That's the thing that matters most. Be who you are. Rubbish. There is something about it. Don't try and pretend to be someone else. Yes, that's true. But the problem with authenticity is it assumes that who you are is inherently good. And my job is just to be whatever I am. But what if what I am is actually evil, selfish, ungodly? What if that's who I am? And it is who I am. Your job is to stop being who you are, to be Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If who you are is shy, um, independent, just wanting to do your own life, if that's who you are, then the authenticity thing won't help you. Because God intends for you to be something different than that. To actually learn to realise that In Christ, though many, we form one body and each member belongs to each other. To not be who you are. The purpose of God saving you is to live a different life, the no longer isolated life, the life of together, to belong together. Now, this particularly bites when you marry. You know, when when you're kind of, you know, under 25, you, you... Part of a drive for you is you actually want to find people. So you are, you are inclined to be out in groups more. But then you finally get that person and you get married 
And what do you do? You retreat to your house, your love nest. And I'm now, I've got the person, I've got the man, the woman of my dreams. I can just, it's just me and them. And young couples tend to isolate. And this is saying to you to be wary of that because that's not who you're to be. You know, um, what I want to talk to you now about is how do you, how do you make this work? If that's the big thing, verse 5, that we though many are one body and each member belongs to all the others, I want to suggest to you what Paul is doing is he wants to get the Roman Christians to live that, to live that out in practice. And I want us to think about how to live that out in practice. I think he does two things. I think what he does prior to giving that verse, he he says, here's one thing that will stop you living it out. So deal with this first. Here's what you are. And then he says, one thing that will stop you living it out as a consequence after that verse. So that before, here's the thing that will stop you living it out. After, here's the thing that will stop you living it out. So let's deal with those two things and keep coming back to that verse. What will stop you living it out? Well, verse 3 and 4. And I'll give you the summary. Pride. Pride. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought... But rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For we're one body with many members, so in Christ we are many one body. What he's saying is this, I take it, that to live out the one body life, we together belonging to each other life, you must be careful about how you think about yourself. You must think about yourself with sober judgment, not thinking of yourself too highly or too low. You must think about the gifts that you bring, not too highly or too low. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Because if you come with a too high view of yourself, you'll pollute community life. You'll undermine and destroy our life together. Because you'll come into our context with a sense that you're the centre. You're the most important Everyone needs to realise how significant I am. And this church doesn't get it. I don't like being a small fish in a big pond. I want to go and find somewhere I can be a big fish in a small pond. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, there is a little complication here, verse, the end of verse 3, but you're to think with sober judgment. See this little phrase there, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, that little bunch of words there just needs a little thought. What does it mean to say to think soberly in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. It sounds a little like it means think of you yourself with reference to the amount of faith God's given you. It kind of sounds like that. He's distributed faith differently to each of us and we need to be aware of how much faith... That's not what it's saying. It's not what it's saying. It's, it's less clear in the English but what, what, what I take it and many others take it to be saying is this, that um, you are to think of yourself according to the measure of faith. So the measure, there's no word the faith in Greek, it's just the measure of faith. You're to think of yourself soberly in accordance with the measure of faith. Now what is the measure of faith? I take it, it's the measure that faith brings. It's the measure that faith brings. What is the measure that faith establishes for us? What's the measure that faith establishes for us? I'll tell you what it is. Grace. The the measure that faith establishes is that we're saved by grace alone, not works. That all of us are sinners, 
Our only hope is to come to God by faith, not works. We've got nothing to bring. That's the measure that faith establishes. That I'm saved by faith establishes that all of us are on the same grounds. All of us are equal. Sinners all alike. All saved by grace. So we're to think of ourselves soberly in accordance with the measure that faith establishes that we're equal. No one's greater than anyone else. You aren't God's gift to the church. I'm not either, but no one ever thought that. But you might be tempted to think you are. You're not. Do you know, there's an old saying about the graveyard, that the graveyard is full of indispensable men. One of those sayings you've got to think about, isn't it? <laughs> the graveyard is full of people, men and women, who thought themselves indispensable to the world, but they're gone now, we're all still carrying on. No one's indispensable. You and your gift are no more important than others amongst us. We're all equally together in this by the grace of God. And be open to the possibility that what you think we need from you, your gift, is not the big thing we really need. Don't ever walk into a church imagining I'm finally here and what I can offer is really critical to this ministry. No, 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 no. Be open to the possibility that what you think we need from you, your gift, is not what we really need. I was talking to a minister in, a, in a, another context in a smaller church and uh, he'd been there in a couple of years in the church and he, they were struggling to see growth and it was only, it was only 70, 80 people or something and, um, and we're just talking about what might be the problem and he said, look, you know, I think it might actually be the music. I think the music might be a big thing and I said, oh, how's that? And he said, well, it's pretty bad when people come and if they bring a visitor... They never come back again because the music so. And why is the music so bad? And he said, "Well, I think it's the piano player." I said, "What do you mean the piano?" Now, fortunately, this is just a private conversation, which is now public, isn't it? But um, <laughs> but he said, "I think it's the, I think it's the piano player." I said, "Why?" Well, he said, "He can't keep time, and actually, he hasn't got a good sense of tone and melody." And he said, "And actually, he's only got nine fingers." So that'd make it tricky, wouldn't it? <laughs> he, said, he said, yeah, he's not very good. I said, what are you going to do about it? And he said, well, it's pretty hard because he was there before I came and this is his ministry. And for him, it's a key piece to his identity. He needs to have this role to feel significant in the church. And if I take it away from him, it'll crush him. Do you see what's happened? He's made himself, this man's made himself and his exercise of ministry all about him. Now, eventually the minister had a conversation with him and the man stepped out of that ministry and actually it went very well. He was brought to a new understanding of his Christian experience and so on and they got someone who could actually had 10 fingers and could play the keyboards. And you know what? Two years later, the church had doubled in size. See, the music's the, music's the key. <laughs> so just keep an eye on what happens here. But uh, um, the point is just... Do not imagine that you and your gift has got to be... One of the dangers, you see, is you read a passage like this and you see, you know, verse 6, we have different gifts. You know, there's prophecy, there's, there's serving, there's teaching, there's encouraging, there's giving, there's leading, there's mercy. And you think, well, there's half a dozen gifts. And you go to another chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, and you find another half a dozen gifts. And then you go somewhere else, chapter 14, you find another bunch of gifts. Add them all together and you get 25, 26 gifts. And you say, there's the gifts and you've got to work out which one is yours. And you go, once I've identified this is my gift, I've now got to use it. 
And if the church won't let me use my gift, I'm going somewhere else. No. What Paul's doing is saying, just here's a random bunch of gifts. It's not the total list of gifts. There's no gift of music mentioned. There's, There's many more gifts. Paul's point is not, here's a bunch of gifts, you work out which is yours. The point is, whatever gift you have, we've all got gifts. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Beware of thinking your gift is who you are. And its use is critical. Jimmy Carter was the, um, was the president of America back in the 70s. You know, this is a long time ago, right? 1970s. Um, and uh, he, he, was, he was, as far as I can tell, we can tell he was a born-again Christian, a genuine believer. And he, he kept saying and, and uh, continues to say that the most important thing he did in his week was teach Sunday school. Ruling the... Biggest country in the world. Most important thing is Sunday school. And he continues to teach Sunday school to this day. Well, he's 90 or something. Um, and there's something beautiful about that. He, he, he didn't go to church and say, uh, you know, my gift is ruling. And if you don't make me the boss of this church, I'm out of here. He didn't sort of say, you know, my gift is such a precious thing that you need. You know, he just teaches Sunday school. You know, every week I tell myself this, that it's not about me. Now, I don't do that every week because I think I've got a problem. I just know the human heart. And I'm conscious it's a problem in every human heart. And I tell myself, I'm about being less, others more. It's not about me. It's not about what I do. I don't have to keep doing what I do. What matters is the body of Christ. I tell myself that every week. It's about loving one another. You see, bring sober judgment. Don't overestimate, but don't underestimate. One of the dangers is that you can can imagine, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to offer this place. Others are impressive. They've got so many amazing gifts. I've got nothing. What have I got to offer? Don't underestimate yourself. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7. Um, God has gifted every one of us for the common good. If you've come to Jesus and put your faith in Jesus, you have a gift from God. It won't be, it won't be spectacular, it won't be a, but it's something that He has given you to serve the body. This body of Christ here. Don't undervalue yourself. Think of yourself with sober judgment. You know, older people contend down this path to imagine they've got nothing to offer. I was, I was first converted into a small church in Manly Vale and uh, it was only a church of 100 or so people. And there was one afternoon tea where uh, the minister, because I was one of the only young people in the church, where the minister took me to meet this uh, man. He said, look, I want you to meet this man at afternoon tea. So he took me along and there was this, he took me over to this man. Leaning, he was standing, but he was leaning against a post with a walking frame in front of him. He was like decrepit and ancient. Oh, yeah, he's 55 or something like this, but he's really old. No, he was 80, almost 90, something. very old man. And, um, and, I came, and Jack brought me over and said, uh, hi, this is Andrew Hurd. And the man said, oh, I know you. And I thought, oh, there you go, he knows me. And he said, he said get this, he said, I pray for you every week. I said, whoa. He said, yeah, I go through the prayer diary. I've seen your name there and I pray for you every week. And he'd remembered my name. Um, he remembered everybody's name. And um, he said this, he said, my wife and I are much older now, 
We can't do much, so we pray. We get up in the morning and at breakfast time we pray. Mid-morning we spend a considerable time praying and then in the afternoon after lunch we pray again and before dinner we pray again. They spend extended times in prayer. Now he, he was found dead in his bed, but surrounding him in his bed were his prayer diaries where he'd been praying for missionaries and ministers around the world. Extraordinary ministry. At his funeral, you know old people's funerals? As you get older, all your friends die off, so there's not many of you left. And so when you have your funeral, it's only you, the dog and me, you know, it's just a few people there. Um, and, if, and your dog might have... But you, know, it's a, <laughs> but, you know, there's not many... But I'll tell you what, his funeral was packed. His funeral was packed with people because... He'd been praying for people all his ministries. And they knew how much his prayers and so they flooded to give thanks for his life. And the moral of this story is, if you want to have lots of people at your funeral, get into prayer, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, I was speaking to one lady and I said, why have you joined the old people's group here? And she said, well, I wanted to make sure I had people at my funeral when I died. And I said, maybe you should have joined the youth group. <laughs> anyway... Um, she thought it was funny. Uh, <laughs> don't undervalue what you can bring. Don't undervalue what you can bring. Everybody has a gift and the body needs your gift. It's like a human body. You see verse just four. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, we all have different functions that work together to make the body work. You see, church here is a massive task. Just, just to make Sunday's work is a massive task. Now, every church, big or small, has a big task. I mean, whether you're big or small, you need two or three, four or five people on the stage to do the music. It's whatever size church. That doesn't change much as the church gets bigger, really. And so that's pretty much the same. But what happens as a church gets bigger is you have more people work. You have, you have more kids in the youth group that need to be looked after. More kids in Sunday school that need to be cared for and discipled. More new people coming to faith who need to be journeyed with through their, their understanding of the things of Christ. And we as a church are committed not just to putting on an event, because that's actually relatively easy. As a church, we are committed, determined to make sure that every person who comes to us gets personally cared for. Which means we have massive needs to make all of this work to care for and love people. You are part of the body of Christ in this place. Each member of you, you all belong to us, to each other. Um, just being here now is a huge gift, actually. Your presence is a huge gift. That you sit here and participate with your Bible open, encourages other people to bring their Bibles and read, that, that you sing actively, that your voice is loud enough for the person in front of you to hear is a huge blessing to other people. You are part of the body. We are members together. We each have a role to play. Um, now, that's before. So his point is, I want you to see, Roman Christians, I want you to see, Aaron, that, that you're one body, you belong to each other to make church be this thing... What you need to care about beforehand is that you don't think for yourself too highly or too lowly. Think of yourself with sober judgment. What does he say afterwards? Much more quickly, 
Here it is. What he says afterwards is, if you have a gift, use it. If you have a gift, use it. Verse 7. If your gift is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. You see, this body won't work. This reality of who we are in Christ won't show itself if you have a gift and keep it to yourself. Don't actually exercise it for the good of others. Now, there is a little complication in this section as well, and just briefly there, verse 6, if your gift is prophesying, do you see that statement there? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Now, again, it's a little translation issue there. It's in accordance with the faith, according to the measure of the faith. The word the is in the Greek there. And I think what Paul is saying is that prophecy is to be done according to the measure of the faith, consistent with your faith in Christ, um, so that you don't teach heresy, you see. You've got to be consistent with the faith of Christ. Um, Now, let me apply this to us. Do you know the big thing from this passage? It's an identity issue. The whole thing starts in your head, which is what verse 2 says, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The whole thing starts in your head. To be countercultural, no longer conforming to the world, you need to embrace a personal identity that's biblical. And your personal identity, you are part of a body. Verse 5, in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to each other. That's who you are. That's who I am. Foreground, I need to transform my mind to think of myself no longer as the rugged individualist who just lives their life as they want. I've got to actively put off that way of thinking and see myself more and more as I am in Christ, a member of one body belonging to other members of this body. That's who I am. Now, you won't get that until you work it into your mind, until you practice actively thinking, that's who I am, a member of the body of Christ. It's not just me and God living my life however I want. It's me, God, together with the body. That's who I am. You come to faith in Christ, it transforms who you are. Now, that doesn't happen automatically. You need to to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are now family. And I'm sorry, but you're now family with me. (laughs) You can't choose family. And I'm family with you. We're one body together. That's who we are. Now, that might feel kind of weird. You, you look at the person in front of you, the person behind you. Don't turn around. But, <laughs> you know, you think of the person behind me, the person in front of me. And, and what I want you to do is go, I'm part of the body with them. I belong to them. They belong to me. That's who we are together. Does that feel weird? Yeah. Owning that weirdness is helpful to start actually embracing the truth of it. 
Because God's word says it's so. There's the first thing. It, it, this requires a mind transformation, identity transformation. I'll give you the second piece. You are part of the body for the sake of giving to the body, for the sake of giving to this local assembly. God has gifted you, not just with one gift, most of you will have many gifts. God has gifted you to give to this body. At the very least, he has gifted you to give money, to give generously. But most of us have many more gifts. And I'll tell you what, you've got the gift of a face. You've got the gift of a face. Smile at people around you. Pay attention to each other. You know, let me give you the picture of the kind of church God wants. The picture of the kind of church God wants is one where we're engaged with each other, supporting each other. It's not the professional minister doing it and us just coming and going. Now, for that to work, each of us needs to do our part. Let me give you three steps in doing our part. First step, come every week. Come every week. Be here week in, week out. It's very hard to do body life together if you're not here. It's critical to make who I am a member of the body of Christ that meets at Erina. It's critical that I live that out by being present with the body of Christ. Now, this is why we've always fought against the stream thing. The stream, we've, never, we've worked hard to not call it church because streaming is not church. Church is when you physically get together. Streaming is presenting parts of what happens in church remotely. It's a very mouthful to say though, isn't it? But all you're doing is delivering information to a house in a lounge room. That's not church. So I want to urge you to work out ways to come every week. Now with that in mind, you might be finding, look, I, it, you, you don't understand my life, it's tricky for me to get here every week. Well, just think about this with me. Are there other things in your life that you get to every week? Is there a sport you play that you're there every week? Do you have a job that you get to every day? Are there things in your life you don't miss? Well, your problem isn't kind of a personal problem of disciplines in all areas of life. What it is is an issue of will. When you want to, you can be at something every week. The issue, therefore, is the heart that you need to deal with, that may not see church as important as work every day. See what I'm trying to say? If, if, you, if you go to work every day, that, that's a good thing, that's honouring your commitments and so on. But what I want to, want to recognise is that what God is calling to us in Christ is to be part of a body of Christ that gathers every week. That is more important than turning up on Monday to work. If you can pull that off, now I'm aware some of you may not be able to pull that off, but if you can pull that off, then you can pull off being in church every week. Make that a priority. Come, and when you come, engage. Now this is, you guys do so well at this, but let me just remind you, sing, sing, sing so that people can hear you. We do well at this, but keep, keep pressing into that. Um, say Amen. When someone pray, prays and says, Amen, you go, I agree as well, Amen, or Amen, however you say your Amens. But, but, but say it so that people can hear that you agree to that prayer as well. 
Now, for the first three minutes of church, talk to someone you don't know. Not your friends, but someone else. And with this, can I, can I take myself back when I was 20, 21, 22? I found coming to church stressful because I didn't think I fitted in. I didn't think I was cool enough for the cool group and I didn't think they wanted me around and so I didn't know who to talk. I felt like, oh. But you know what helped, what changed my life? <laughs> you know what helped me? It was to shift from thinking, I'm trying to find my place as being in, to thinking, I'm here not to be in, but to help others. Everything changed. I no longer went to church worried about whether I was in the group or not. I went to church looking for people that I might minister to and serve and encourage. Changed everything. If you find yourself as a shy person, can I encourage you to have that transformation? Pray. Make a time to pray for the church, the ministries, and give financially. There's the first step. There's some things that I just think are basic. Come along every week, engage actively, look for ways to help and speak to other people, give financially, pray. Let me take it one step further. Get involved more in informal ministries. Get involved more in informal ministries. That is, get into a small group and be part of a small group where you can share with others and encourage others in an informal way. Take an interest in what's happening throughout church. Take a heed to the struggling people around us in church and pray for them and do practical helps. Take meals if you need and so on. Um, get involved in formal ministries. But let me give you one more step, the last step. So the first step is just do the basic things. Come along every week. Participate actively. Second, get involved in informal ministries. Look for ways to help and serve. Third, get involved in formal ministries. What I've discovered over the years is that people who join up to a formal ministry actually end up doing informal ministry. People who say, I don't need a formal ministry, I'll just do informal, don't do much informal. But when they join a formal, they start doing more informal. It's like the gym. I can do exercise on my own. Well, you won't do as much as if you join a club, you know, it's that kind of principle. Join a formal ministry. Um, we have massive needs in church. It's not just running the service, it's walking alongside people, it's encouraging and helping people. Um, find a way to get involved. We've got a particular need in kids' ministries at present. Uh, is there something you can do there? But there are many needs at night in the ministries here. There are the three steps. Let me finish by saying this. And I, actually, I want to ask you a question. Be transformed. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't buy into the whole idea of just being an individual, me and God, living what I want. No, that's not who you are anymore. You are part of a body. That's who you are. Be transformed. Don't conform. And here's what I want to ask you, and I want you to just, I want you to share with the person around you, two or three of you, to talk about this, just very brief, only 30 seconds or so. Can you... Can you think into history? Can you imagine a time where... I'll give, volunteerism is dying. People find it very hard in our culture today 
to get people to volunteer in sports groups and clubs and so on, right? Volunteerism is dying. I want you to talk with the person next to you just for a couple of minutes or just one minute. Why do you think it might have been easier to volunteer 50 years ago? Can you think into that? What might have been happening all those decades ago where there were more people interested in volunteering than there are today? What's changed? Go for it. Just take a minute. Okay, that'll do, just a kick start. So give us some thoughts. Why do you think it might have been easier to volunteer 50 years ago than it is today? What's happened today that we don't volunteer as much? It's not as, what are your thoughts? Yeah, there's less community spirit today. Yeah, and the question of course is why is that the case? Why do we think there's less community spirit today? Yeah. Less support to volunteer. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we actually have a bunch of things happening. The, the, um, it now takes two incomes to buy a house, whereas 50 years ago, one income could have bought the house. So both men and women are working full-time. Their capacity and energy levels are reduced. They haven't got as many family networks around to support kids and so on. Is this the kind of thing you, you're offering? Yeah, yeah. Those things have changed. Yeah, there is a... Um, there is a growing sense of entitlement. There's, my parents, who are now 90, and their parents, they just assumed that life was hard and to make life work, you had to get in and help people make it work. They just assumed that. But here's a, they, they built into our lives a poison. They wanted the world to be a better place so that their kids could have a more comfortable lifestyle. They were prepared to work hard and make things work so that their kids would be better off, their kids would be better off. And what's happened is they bred in us a sense that life was about having more comfort, more comfort. And now that I've got the affluence, I'm pursuing the comfort, <laughs> you see. And so the We've got to be different. We've got to be different. Yeah, any other observations? So, did you, did people are pursuing entertainment more often. Yeah, yeah. And entertainment's in your lounge room um, or at the movies. And so, it's a little bit that same picture, isn't it? Yeah, there's something happening there. Other thoughts? What was the first one? Business and individualism, yeah, the rampant individualism, it's me and my life, and we look at the rugged individual who, who, who leaves everything and gets in the combi van and drives around the country and then gets on a boat and go, travels overseas and the rugged individualist and that's the dream we have and that cultivates a world where you don't volunteer unless I get something from it. 
unless volunteerism makes me feel good. And so I'll go and do the one-month trip at an orphanage to feel good about myself. And truly, it's not actually volunteering to serve someone else, actually. Yeah. Now, friends, there's, there's enough of a taste. It's just worth reflecting on what, what is... We're swimming in a culture... And that's flavouring the way we think. And we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds, to realise that we aren't to live like that. We're to be people who realise that in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to the other. And last thought, Imagine what would happen if we all bought into that. We'd build a community that, that would change the world. Where, where people would be loved and genuinely cared for and more people would be attracted to that and we'd be able to mobilise to bring others to hear the gospel and imagine what God might do through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this beautiful vision that you provide of a body life where we belong to one another, where we bring all of our gifts, not thinking too highly of ourselves, not thinking too little of ourselves, but serving and giving and loving. And we pray, please, you might let that be the case amongst us. And we ask it in Jesus' name.